0: What past the time? Sorry. Well, good morning again. uh, Welcome to Calvary. If you have your Bibles, we are continuing our verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Matthew. We are in Matthew chapter 8 this morning. We're going to be looking at the first 17 verses. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand and we'll get one right to your seat so you can follow along with us. Matthew chapter 8 verses 1 through 17 this morning. We just finished up the Sermon on the Mountain, and, you know, I'm tempted just to start the whole thing all over again. It was so, so cool and so exciting, but uh, we're going to move on. We read, starting in verse 1, when he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you tell no one, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home, paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, But only speak a word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, Go. And he goes, and to another, Come. And he comes, and to my servant, Do this. And he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, But the sons of the kingdom will be cast into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go your way, and as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And the servant was healed that same hour. Now when Jesus had come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother lying sick with a fever. So he touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she arose and served them. When evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with the word, and healed all who were sick, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, He himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. The title of my message this morning is Unleashed Power. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to gather together this morning, knowing, Lord that it's your will, it's your desire to speak to our hearts. And so, Lord, we pray that we would have ears to hear exactly what you have to say to each one of us this morning, that we would uh, be open to receive all that you have for us today. We pray, Lord, if there's anyone here that is yet to surrender their heart and life to you, they're not born again yet, we pray, Lord, you'd especially touch their hearts. We thank you for this time this morning. We thank you for your love, your grace and just this opportunity to bring you glory. We commit our time to you now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What is that humming noise? Anybody hear that? Oh, well, we'll, we'll uh, kind of ignore it. <laughs> Matthew's gospel is the gospel of the king. The first four chapters, this person is revealed. Chapters. 5 through 7, his principles are recorded. Now, the question arises does Jesus have the power to carry out those principles? Or is he like so many others who, who have a lot of good principles but lack the power to carry them out? I read a story about an investigator walking through the storm ravaged streets of New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina. Amidst the rubble and, and the destruction, he found a, a plastic straw, a flimsy plastic drinking straw. But why it caught his eye is that this flimsy, flimsy, this little plastic straw, (laughs) flimsy, had done something some other flimsy plastic straw has never done. And that was embedded in a telephone pole about two or three inches thick, or deep into a telephone pole. You think, man, how does something like that happen? I mean, that's impossible. I mean, you take a hammer and a straw and you try and put that in the telephone pole, it's not going to happen. It's going to collapse. But what happened is the force of that hurricane actually driven that straw into the pole as if it were a metal spike. That's interesting because what could not be done normally was done by this tremendous power of the wind of a hurricane. And the reason I bring this up is that we, as we start to cover Matthew chapters 8, 9, and 10, we see this power of Jesus released. In fact, the following three chapters, Matthew records ten miracles, which shows us that Jesus not only had the principles, but he had the power to make things happen. In fact, in this chapter alone we'll see over the next few weeks, verses one through seventeen, Jesus' is power over disease, and verses eighteen through twenty seven his power over nature, and in verses twenty eight through thirty four his power over Satan. The point is we're going to see Jesus' power displayed in a way that proves that he has the power to help in any situation we find ourselves in. This morning, as we look at these first 17 verses, we're going to see his power displayed in, in three points. Number one, a man with leprosy. Number two, a soldier with a sick servant. And number three, a mother-in-law with a migraine. Now, we don't know she had a migraine, but it rhymes, so I, I put it in there anyway. But Jesus had just finished... Teaching uh really the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount, but now they' had come down from the mountain, the private lessons were done, and we read now look at verse one, when he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. Now the children of Israel, they were warned prior to coming into the promised land. in Deuteronomy 11:11 11, 11, he says, "The land that you go to possess is a land of hills and valleys." You know, life is like that as well, is it not? Hills and valleys. It's mountaintop experiences and it's valley experiences. And I think if we all had it our way, we'd say, man, I just want to live on the mountaintop experiences, you know. I, I just want to stay at this point. You know, maybe you've gone to a, a woman's retreat or a men's retreat or something. It's just a great time of waiting on the Lord. And, man, I just want to stay here and camp out. But man, you've you got to come back down. But, I, you know, you, you like the mountaintop experience. There's no problems, no temptations, just being blessed by the Lord. It would be glorious. But it's during those times in the valleys where often the greatest fruit will grow. It's been said that fruit does not grow on the mountaintops, it grows in the valleys. And here we see that Jesus, He comes down from the, the, from the mountaintop, down from preaching the Sermon on the Mount. And let me say this, if you're on the mountaintop right now, and, and 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 things are going reasonably well, the Lord is blessing, enjoy it. Be blessed by it. Because you know, it doesn't always last forever. So brace yourself because a, a valley is coming. And, and maybe you're in a valley right now. Things are closing in, and, and things are dark, and things are hard. Encourage yourself because a mountaintop is coming. It's in your future. David put it this way. He said, yeah, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. He didn't say, Yea, though I collapse and die in the valley of the shadow of death, I know you'll leave me all alone. <laughs> no. He says, I will fear no evil because you are with me. So keep plugging away. Valleys don't last forever. So what was in the valley waiting for Jesus? Well, in the 17 verses of chapter 8, we have a leper waiting for him, a centurion soldier with a sick servant, and a mother in law sick with the fever. And this, I mean, what, what a valley. But it brings us to our first point, a man with leprosy. Look again at verse 1. When he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now today, leprosy has been renamed Hansen's disease, and it can be treated with certain medications. But in biblical times, it was an untreatable disease. And if you had it, it was a death sentence. I think it's fitting that the very first miracle that we see in the New Testament deals with the cleansing of a leper, because in Isaiah chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, it it makes it clear that leprosy is a picture of sin. Leviticus chapter 13 taught that leprosy began beneath the surface of the skin, just like sin does. And what we see outwardly in people's lives today is only the result of what is going on within them. And that's been really the the whole point of the Sermon on the Mount. It's been said that we are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. Leviticus chapter 13 goes on to say that leprosy, like sin, spreads throughout the whole body. And like sin, you can control it for a season. But if you didn't destroy it, it will eventually destroy you. And when a person contracted leprosy, he was forced to live in a community with all the other lepers, apart from family and friends. It separated them from family and friends. If he had to come into town, the, the law required that he would cry out, Unclean, unclean, in order for everyone within a 150-foot radius to back away and, and clear the area. Needless to say, a person with leprosy did not have a whole bunch of friends. Now, in this disease, in the beginning stages, the skin of a leper would, would take on a hard, glossy appearance. As the disease progressed, it would eventually cause the nerves to become very numb. You would lose the sen- sensation in your hands, in, in, your, in your fingers, and your limbs. Your body would become really a tangled mess. One expert described it as a progression in which a man dies by inches. They would begin to take on a very uh, gross appearance as their skin became hard and scaly and as their fingers and toes disappeared, their face would become swollen with these huge folds and there would also be a very strong odor that would emanate from their, the body of one who had leprosy. We're told that a a person with leprosy, you can smell them a hundred feet away. And in fact, the rabbis said that they felt if someone had leprosy, it was because God was judging them, that they were being smitten by God. So if you had leprosy, you were being judged radically by the people around you. So much so that there were sayings that the rabbis said at that time, they would say things like, well, I would not so much as buy an egg from a market that was on the street that a leper walked down on. Or they would say things like, when I see a leper coming, I will throw stones at them until they turn away and run in the opposite direction. And that may sound cruel and harsh, but you understand that according to their theology, they believe that God's judgment was upon those with leprosy, so naturally, well, they must be terrible people. So we have this this man in verse 2 with leprosy, a sickness uh, that's a symbol of sin, he sees Jesus and walks right through the middle of the crowd that was following Jesus right up and asked Jesus to be healed. Now, I don't know how he knew that Jesus could touch him. Maybe he'd been eavesdropping. Maybe he heard stories about Jesus. But whatever it was, I love what he says here in verse 2. He says, Behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. He didn't say, Lord, I'm here. Heal me. He didn't say, Lord, have mercy on me, heal me. Rather, he worshipped the Lord. And then he said, Lord, if you want to, you could do this. He didn't even say, I want you to do this. But, but, you know, I'm sure he did. He just tells, tells the Lord, if you can do it, he left it in God's hand. And I think that's beautiful. It's a beautiful picture of what prayer ought to be. Because that's how Jesus taught us to pray. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, if you want to, you can heal me. I, I know it can be done, but I will leave it up to you. Now look what Jesus the way Jesus responds in verse 3. Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing to be cleansed. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Now Jesus could have easily said to this gross person, sores all over his body, smelly, strained voice, You know, his eyes could be watering, okay, 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 I'll heal you. I'm just not going to touch you. Just, just back off a little bit. I'm just going to heal you. Jesus could have just spoken the word and the man would have been healed. Listen, it probably been 20 to 30 years since this man had felt the touch of a non lepers hand. Who knows? This guy might have been a husband once, you know, with, with the wife who knew the touch of his wife. Certainly he was some mother's son. He knew the touch of his parents. Maybe he was a father himself. He knew the touch of his children, but not... For years, ever since he's been a leper, he had no human contact at all. But what does Jesus do? He reaches right out and touches him, grabs him, holds him, touches him. There's a lesson in that for us. Folks, listen, regardless of the sin you might be struggling with right now, don't make the mistake that countless thousands of lepers do and say, well, I need to stay away from Jesus, I'm unclean. Jesus can handle your sin. He's not shocked by it. He's not horrified by it. He's not embarrassed by it. Jesus touch this leper, and he can handle your sin as well. The biggest mistake that people make is well, well, concerning Jesus is well. When when I get my life together, when 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 I can clean myself up, then then uh, you know then I'll then I'll turn to the Lord, or then I'll then I'll uh, you know deal with these things. Listen, you'll never get it together until the Lord touches you. If you're struggling in sin or maybe questioning your faith, if you're living a life of carnality, the good news is Jesus can handle it. You just need to come to Him. Here the Lord, or the leper wanted to be changed and and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And we read Jesus put out His hand and touched Him saying, I'm willing to be cleansed. Immediately the leprosy was cleansed. Oh, I love those words. I am willing. Do you know the Lord has never refused anyone who came to Him looking for help? Jesus never said, Sorry, bub. I don't have time for you. <laughs> not today. In every instance, every, he dealt with people graciously, mercifully, and compassionately. And Maybe you're saying, Yeah, yeah, I've sought the Lord. I've asked Him for help. But I've asked Him to do this thing in my life, but it's never happened. Why? Why would He help this leper and not me in my life? I, I have needs. Well, could it be James 4, chapter 3, chapter 4, verse 3 tells us, You ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. The Greeks had a saying, when the gods wanted to punish a person, they answered all their prayers. I think many times our prayers are just plain wrong. And our Father who loves us enough will say, no, I don't think so. This is not the best thing for your life right now. Listen, He'll never turn you away, but He'll always do what is best for you. And you'll see it sooner or later if you'll just ask Him. Listen, there are thousands of lepers in that region at the time, but only one came and asked Jesus to be healed, and only one went away clean. You have not because you ask not. And again, no one had probably touched that man since the day he became a leper. He'd been outcast, unloved, undesired. Imagine how radical this was. As Jesus touches him, instantaneously his leprosy was gone. I mean, it was probably in advanced stages. Maybe his fingers were all gone. Maybe he had them, I don't know, maybe his arms were gone. This means that the arms grew, fingers grew. The skin that was just this ugly, you know, gray, smelly skin of a leopard. All of a sudden, skin like, like a baby skin. I mean, uh, maybe blind eyes he could see again. Everything just came back to this original state right in front of Jesus before everybody else's eyes. You know what this tells us? It tells us that no one is beyond the reach of God. No one is. Instantly the leprosy was gone. Well then look what Jesus says in verse 4. He said to him, See that you tell no one, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Jesus says, I want you to go, I want you to show yourself to the priest. Now why did he say that? Well, according to Leviticus chapter 14, there are specific things that the leper was to do if they were cleansed. And so Jesus is is obeying the law and telling him to do this. which shows us that Christ didn't ignore the teachings of the law, though he was accused of it. He never really broke the law, not even once. You might say, well, he, he must have broken the law because he touched a man with leprosy. No, he healed a man with leprosy as he touched him. Man no longer had the disease. Jesus always kept the law. And to show that, he says to this guy, go and show yourself to the priest. Don't tell anyone, he says in verse 4. So what does he do? Well, according to Luke's gospel of the same story, he blabs it to everyone he can see. (laughs) What an interesting contrast. Jesus tells this man to be quiet, and the man tells everyone, and the Lord tells us to tell everyone, and we keep quiet. We have the Great Commission, go into all the world and preach the gospel. to every living creature. Maybe Jesus should have used reverse psychology on us. Whatever you do, don't go into all the world and preach the gospel because this is a secret and I don't want anyone to know we would evangelize the planet 50 times already. See, this man can no longer cope with the difficulties and ultimately what would be his death. So he comes to Jesus. Jesus responds to him, resulting in the leper experiencing the, the power of God in his life. And he couldn't keep it to himself. In the same way, we are not able to cope with all the difficulties and ultimately death in our own lives. We too must have a relationship with Jesus Christ and his empowering in our lives. We must come to him out of a sense of need. And and, and this is how the sinner must come, by the way, to Jesus Christ. With confidence, with reverence, with humility, with faith, with a great sense of need. Now, This brings us to our second point. A soldier with a sick servant. Look at verse 5. Now, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home, paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. So here we have a Gentile coming to Christ for help, this Roman centurion. Now, the centurion was not merely just a soldier. In order to obtain the position of a centurion, one had to prove himself as a valiant warrior. This guy accomplished much, and he was a commander who was in charge of a hundred men, Thus the word centurion. We also know from Luke's gospel that he was wealthy, and that he initially went to the Jews and asked them to approach Jesus on behalf of his servant because he felt, you know, uh, uh, unworthy and and, and he didn't feel that he was authorized to approach Christ. He understood how rank worked, how things happened in the military world. But here we read, ultimately he comes face to face with Jesus. So here we have an encounter with a wealthy Roman approaching a poor Galilean A powerful centurion seeking a meek carpenter, a mighty man of war, addressing the Prince of Peace. And what happens? Immediately the centurion is humbled, worried, because he was in the presence of God Almighty in human form. But the words come out of his mouth, Lord, my servant is lying at home, paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. Now what is interesting is that the centurion cared so much about his servant. I mean, you know, this was not a family member, but a servant, a slave, someone that worked for him. Well, there, there are different types of servants at that time in those days. One was an individual you would purchase as a slave. For all practical purposes, you own them. Now let me say this, the Bible never condones that, by the way. It was, it was just a reality of the ancient world, but the, the Bible doesn't condone slavery. But then there was what was called a, a doulo. This was a slave that that was, you once owned them, but then you released them. You said, you're free to go. You're no longer under under constraint to serve me. I free you. But then the doulo would say, listen, I want to stay with you because I love you. I I want to serve you by choice. Apostle Paul calls himself, (coughs) excuse me, calls himself a doulo of Jesus Christ, a bondservant. And so this picture here is that The centurion has a doulo of a slave. As well as in the original language, it hints that this is like a young boy or a young girl, very precious to the centurion. Now for a military man, over a hundred soldiers, he had a very tender heart. Then again he says, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And then Jesus responds in verse 7. He said to him, I will come and heal him. Isn't that awesome? I mean, now here we have another manifestation of Jesus' power. I want you to notice, too, that Jesus didn't say, well, let me come, let me examine him, see what's going on here, and I'll tell you after the examination if we can do anything. And he doesn't also say, listen, get with one of my disciples and make an appointment. I should be able to get to your servant sometime towards the end of the year. I'm pretty booked up now, but but make sure you have the proper insurance, your insurance cards, and, and I could probably get you in maybe a couple, of three weeks now. No, Jesus immediately says, I will come and heal him. That's awesome. That's why he's called the great physician. (laughs) But then it gets better. This man was a humble man. He says in verse 8, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. I love that he sees Jesus as his Lord. And seeing Jesus as his Lord, he sees himself and true humility. He realizes he's in no place to demand anything from Jesus. Now, Peter reminds us that we're to be clothed in humility. Humility means that even if the elder over me, you know, my mom or dad or the spiritual brothers overseeing my ministry, makes a wrong decision, I still must be the right person. This applies to marriage, to, to parenting, to church, to job site, anywhere people are. Our responsibility is to not make sure those in authority over us make the right decision. Our responsibility is to make sure we're the right people with the right heart. Why? Well, Peter goes on in 1 Peter 5, verse 5 and 6, For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time. I like what D.L. Moody used to say, Be humble or you'll stumble. I read an article from the late Alex Haley author of Roots, had a picture in his office... <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> I, I ate a baby, Ruth, before I started teaching. The nuts in the. I not have done that. I read an article that said Alex Haley, the, the late author of Roots, he had a, a picture in his office showing a turtle sitting on top of a fence post. And he said the picture was there to remind him of a lesson he learned long ago. If you see a turtle on a fence post you know he had some help. And Alex said, anytime I start thinking, wow, isn't this marvelous what I've done? I look at that pitch and remember how this turtle, me, got me up on that post. Remind me of the words of Paul to his letter to Titus where he said in Titus 3, 5, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. The centurion, he was a man of humility, But most of all, he was a man of faith. For when Jesus says, I'll come and heal him, in verse 7, he replies, Lord, Lord, only speak the word, and my servant will be healed. See, he understood the power of God. He understood authority. He understood that Jesus had the authority to speak, and the disease would depart. And he gives this illustration. Look at verse 9. The man says, for I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me, and I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these words, well, the New King James says, when Jesus heard it, in verse 10, he marveled. It means he went, wow. You know, there are only two, scriptures, two places in Scripture where Jesus says, wow, or that, that he marveled. One was at the unbelief of Israel in Mark chapter 6, verse 6, and the other here at the belief of a Gentile. Again, verse 10 says, When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And then he makes this application. Look at verse 11. And I say to you, that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast in the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Verse eleven, he's talking about the promise of the Gentiles who are outside the covenant promises and blessings of God, who would enter into heaven one day. They come from the east and come from the west and and, and come in into heaven. The next verse, verse twelve, he's talking about the Jewish people, the chosen people, the covenant people, the people with the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because of their unbelief in Jesus, he says, they'll end up in hell. One verse is talking about heaven, the other verse is talking about hell. And you know what? This is so true. Israel is blinded even to this day by unbelief, rejecting the Messiah. Shut out of the kingdom, but the Gentile believers received Christ and will sit with Jesus in the kingdom with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I can't wait to sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm sure I'll have to wait in line but it'll be worth it all of eternity to do that. But The amazing thing is the Jewish people with all their privileges are so blind and filled with unbelief. But I think, you know what, the same thing is going on today in our Western world. We've been so blessed to live in the United States with every opportunity to know the Lord. We have the freedom to worship in the United States, freedom to go to church, freedom to own a Bible, freedom uh, to, 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 to serve the Lord, and yet people still reject Jesus Christ. But then you have countries that just by owning a Bible can land you in jail or even kill. Then they're coming to Christ. They'll be sitting in the kingdom of heaven right next to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and and blow some people away. Listen, I believe there's going to be a lot of surprises when we get to heaven. There'll be people who won't be there who we thought would be there. And there'll be those who'll be there that we never thought would be there. And people are going to walk up to you and me and go, What are you doing here? You know, say, listen, it's by the blood of Jesus Christ cleansing me from all my sin. I'm here by the grace of God and by the mercy of God. But the self righteous, the one trusting in their heritage, trusting in their lineage, trusting in their pedigree, they're going to be cast out. They trusted that they would go to heaven. Why? Well, because we're Jews. We're Jews, we're going to heaven. People will say the same thing. Well, I've been baptized. I was raised in the church, I was born in America. United States, every, you know, every American is a Christian, right? All all Americans go to heaven. Jesus says, they'll be cast out in the outer, outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Do you know that in the original language, in the Greek, there are two definite articles, one before the word weeping and one before the word gnashing. It literally reads, there shall be the weeping and the gnashing of teeth. Those definite articles are put there for the sake of emphasis to emphasize the kind of horror horror that hell will be. The eternal punishment of hell will be weeping and the gnashing of teeth. Jesus is not mincing words here. He's telling it like it is. You know, Jesus spoke more on hell than any other preachers of the Bible put together. That's because the last place God wants any man or woman created in his image is to go to hell. That's why Jesus died on the cross for you. And for me, he absorbed the full wrath of God so you won't have to go to hell, so you can go to heaven. But if a person is bound and determined uh, you know, to, to reject God's offer of forgiveness, if they say no to Jesus, I don't care about your death, I don't want your forgiveness, and they continue to live in sin and end up in hell, and that final day they will have no one to blame but themselves. God wants us to to join Him in heaven. It's really a choice He's given to us. Receive that gift of salvation or reject it. Well, Jesus in verse 13 tells the centurion, Go your way, and as you believe, so let it be done for you. And a servant was healed that same hour. Jesus marveled, He gave a message, and He performed a miracle. So I guess the question we have to ask ourselves this morning is, does Jesus marvel at our faith? Does he does he marvel at our unbelief? When Jesus looks down on you right now, does he go, what a joy m- comes to my heart because I see how much he trusts me, how much she relies on me. You know, as a parent, how would you feel if your kids never trusted you, never relied on you? You told your kid that you were going to do something with them and how would you feel if they said, well, I don't know, I don't know if I can trust you. I mean, I, I know you, mom and dad, but I'm just not so sure. We grieve our hearts. How much more do you think it grieves the heart of God when we fail to trust Him or take Him at at His word? Because listen, in everybody's life there's going to come a point of a crisis. For some of you, maybe the worst has already happened. For some, the worst is yet to come. But the key issue is where you will turn when you're under pressure. Where are you going to turn when the world collapses around you? Where will you turn? Where will you place your faith in at that time? A.W. Tozer wrote, if our faith is going to have a firm foundation, then we must be convinced beyond any possibility and doubt that God is altogether worthy of our trust. See, God says, I'll provide for you. Trust me, I'll guide you, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. And we go, I don't know, Lord, I don't know if I can trust you. Hey, Jesus can be trusted. He's dependable. Jesus marveled at this, this man of faith, but to see this insurance faith was great because he understood something that we need to strive ourselves to understand. And that is God's work in our, in our life is a work of grace. We don't deserve it. You know, God is not good to us because we're good. He's good to us because He is good. Now, this brings us to our, our final point, our final person, number three. A mother-in-law with a migraine. Again, I don't know if she had a migraine, but it rhymes, so I used it. But she was sick, and she did have a fever. Look at verse 14. Now, when Jesus had come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother lying sick with a fever. So he touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she arose and served him. Remind me of the story about a man, his wife, and his mother-in-law who went on vacation to the Holy Land. While they were there, the mother-in-law passed away. An undertaker told them, you can have her shipped home for $5,000, or you can bury her here in the Holy Land for just $150. The man thought about it, told him that he would just have her shipped home. The undertaker asked, why? Why would you spend $5,000 to ship your mother-in-law home when it would be wonderful to have her buried here and only spend $150? The man replied, well, a man died 2,000 years ago. He was buried here and three days later he rose from the dead. I just can't take that chance. (laughs) Listen, in the Jewish culture, there are three groups of people that were absolutely looked down upon. First group was lepers. Again, we saw how God, how people who had lepers, who were thought to have been judged by God. The second group were Gentiles. That's everyone who was not a Jew, like the centurion and the slave. The Jews basically believed that Gentiles only existed for the fuel for the fires of hell. And the third one, third group, you guessed it, mother-in-laws. No, not exactly mother-in-laws. <laughs> women in general. Jewish men felt that women were only necessary for reproduction purposes. But outside of that, they were not you know, a whole lot of value. In fact, if you were living during Jesus' time and you, Mom, were giving birth to a child, all your friends, all your relatives would gather in the house with presents in hand and anxiously, anxiously wait for that baby being born. If the midwife came out and said it was a boy, the celebration would follow and the people would stay at your house for three days partying it up. But if the midwife came out and said it's a girl... Then his so-called friends and relatives would leave immediately, and worship. yet, they would take their presence with them. How would you like to have that for a gender reveal party? <laughs> now Keep in mind, as we come to the third of Jesus' first three healings in the New Testament, he touches first a leper, a Gentile, and then a woman. It really shows us why Jesus, why Jesus came. Jesus, it says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost in Luke 19.10. Again, Jesus doesn't say, get your life cleaned up and come to me. He says, come to me and I'll get your life cleaned up. I'll work in your life in a way that's going to blow your mind. And that's what he does here in verse 14. He comes to Peter's house. He sees Peter's mother-in-law sick with a fever. He touches her, heals her, and then she gets up and serves them. This is a really cool, fascinating story here. and I think it's real easy just to read over it quickly, but we need to camp out just for a minute. In the other Gospels, Mark chapter 1, Luke chapter 4, we find that they have they have come in from a busy day and night of ministry. And the next morning they got up and they went to the synagogue, and then after that they, they come to Peter's house and and and, and they're hungry. And, and I don't know about you, but I think we're the same. But whenever church is over on Sunday and everyone's gone, so to speak, there's only one thing on my mind, and it's usually food. I have to admit, I'm not all that spiritual after everyone's gone for the day. And so I go, okay, it's time to eat. Where are we going to go? And I think here that Peter invited Jesus to eat over at his house after church, after a long day of ministry. Because I think one thing we know for sure, Christians love to eat. I think we have sanctified taste buds. Born again taste buds, rejuvenated by the Holy Spirit. Make things taste better when you're born again. Oh, this is so good. Oh, God, thank you for this. Mm. Now we sing praise the Lord, and then when church is over, we say, let's go eat. Now in those days, they didn't have hoo where they could run to. You know, they might have had black sheep burgers, literally. But they'd have to go home and fix them, you know. But, but here we see the synagogue service is over. They're tired. They're hungry. So Peter says, hey, Peter says, hey come over to my house. We'll have a bite to eat. My mother-in-law, she's a great cook. And by the way, I don't want to get sidetracked, but I want you to notice, Peter had a wife and a mother-in-law. So if Peter was married, you know, if Peter was the first pope, he was married. You can't have a mother-in-law and not be married. And by the way, the Bible never puts down mother-in-laws. Naomi, we just looked at that in the book of Ruth, was a mother-in-law. and She was a precious woman and a blessed woman. So Jesus comes home to Peter's house. Peter was probably saying, hey, you guys are going to be so blessed. This food's going to be so awesome. And, and Peter walks into the house and he, and he sees his wife's face and, and, and he says, what's the matter? She says, oh, mom's sick. She hasn't been able to get any food ready. Peter says, are you kidding me? Don't you know that we're hungry? No, he doesn't say that. In fact, in another gospel, it says that, that they actually told Jesus about her. That is, they, they told Jesus Peter's mother-in-law was sick and we need to do something for her. They wanted her well because they cared for her, not because they were hungry. She was precious to them. And so Peter walks in, touches Peter's mother-in-law's hand, and the fever leaves her, and it says she then gets up and ministered to them. She served them. Now, there's just three simple lessons that I want to point out about this healing. Number one, a lesson of sickness. And that is even in godly homes, you will experience sickness. Don't ever get the idea that that, that being spiritual immunes your home from sicknesses or from sorrow. Godliness does not immune you from sickness and sorrow. But what a difference it makes when Jesus comes in. Listen, the next time you're sick, before popping the Tylenol, ask Jesus, Lord, I'm not feeling well. I'm sick with the fever. Could you heal me? <sighs> Jesus just might heal you immediately, so ask. The next thing we see here in this healing is that number two, a lesson in Selflessness. I believe Jesus was probably hungry. He probably needed rest. And he came to Peter's house for a good meal and he found out that there were things needed to do before he could eat. He needed to deny himself and minister healing. Jesus always sacrifices his own needs for others. May we do the same. And the third thing I see in this healing is that it's a lesson in service. She was saved to serve. What a blessing that is, that God heals us so that we can serve him. He, he heals us so that we, we cannot live selfishly, but we can ourse- devote ourselves to service. We read here that she got up and ministered to Jesus. Listen, one of the evidences that you've been touched by the Lord is that somewhere in your Christian journey, you're going to say, I don't want to just receive anymore. I want to give. I want to serve. I want to find my place. I want to find my spot. I want to know what my gift is, and I, I want to use it. I want to exercise my gift there's a woman who was saved under the ministry of Charles Spurgeon and she walked up to Spurgeon one night and said, Mr. Spurgeon, Jesus changed my life and he will never hear the end of it. I like that. He's never going to hear the end of it. I'm going to thank him and I'm going to serve him because he's changed my life. Peter's mother-in-law was changed and immediately she got up and served him. Now imagine the scene. You're Peter's house. Mom's been healed. The meal is over. You happen to look outside the window, outside the door, and all of a sudden, it's pandemonium. Crowds are swarming around the house because news travels fast when you have somebody that can heal people and and cast out demons. With this kind of power, people were just coming out of the woodworks to bring them to Jesus. Look finally now at verses 16 and 17. When evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with the word and healed all who were sick, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, he himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. I like that Matthew here quotes Isaiah chapter 53. Yes, Jesus had healed the leper. He had healed the centurion slave, and he had healed Peter's mother-in-law of fever, showing his power, his power over disease. Spends the rest of the night now casting out demons from people who were demon-possessed, healing every sick person that was brought to him. And I love that Matthew connects the dots. He sees the connection of Isaiah 53, verse 4, when it says, He Himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. That was and is Christ's ministry. Jesus is fulfilling prophecy, the prophecy of Isaiah. He's borne our infirmities and sicknesses. Now sadly, there are those who, based on this verse, teach that since Jesus bore our infirmities and our sicknesses, then we should never be sick because being sick is is out of the will of God, or or, you you have a lack of faith. Listen, sin, sickness, and death, all of them were defeated upon the cross, so that when the kingdom is established here on this earth, the power of sin will be done away with, all will be healed, there will be no more death. But until then, those who preach that true believers should never be sick must also preach that true believers should never sin and never die. You show me a man who never sins and doesn't die, then maybe I'll listen to you about what they have to say about sickness and faith. That doesn't mean that, that God does not heal. Of course He does. Neither am I saying that you shouldn't pray for the sick. We are commanded to pray for the sick. But what I question is those people who say that God never intends anyone to be sick, all should be healed. Let me tell you, all of us will be healed one day. Could be now, could be a year from now. Some will be healed when we get to heaven. But face it, Folks, our bodies are falling apart. I love this story. I found about how the Lord has a way of compensating for our old age. It goes like this. Although pounds are harder to lose as you get older, your teeth begin to fall out so you can't eat so much. You say, yeah, but then I look so terrible if my teeth fall out. Well, that's why your eyesight starts to go so you can't see your teeth falling out. Yeah, but others can see it. So what? By then you've lost your hearing so you can't hear what they are saying about you anyway. And even even if you could hear your memory starts to fade and you wouldn't remember it. I like that. But praise the Lord. He bore our sicknesses, our infirmities, and all these problems and hurts and pains and diseases are all going to be healed sooner or later. That's a promise. And as far as application goes, let's close with these two thoughts. What we learned from these three miracles today. Number one, God is concerned with individuals. God cares about the individual. And you're not lost in the crowd. With the billions of people upon planet Earth, God knows you, God loves you, and He cares about you personally. He's concerned with the individual, even the outcasts and the undesirables, a leper, a slave, and a woman. Three people who really were outcasts of society at that time. Despised, you know, but Jesus comes and the first people Jesus reaches out to and touches is the outcast a leper, a slave, and a woman. And if you're here today, And you feel like nobody cares. God cares and He wants you to come to Him. Secondly, we also learn from these miracles that God can meet every need and that He has the power and the authority to do so. I don't care what you're going through. don't know what's happening in your life, how big the tragedy, the sorrow, the sickness, or the sadness, how deep the valley is. I believe that Jesus Christ not only cares about you, but He has the power to deliver you and to heal you. You come to Him as a leper, born out of your sense of need, your sinfulness, He'll cleanse you from your sins. If you come to Him lame, unable to walk in His ways, He'll give you the power and the strength to be obedient to Him. If you come to Him fever-stricken with your fears, and there are a lot of fears that plague mankind, so many phobias and fears, and we all have them, Jesus Christ can take away your fears. So, you say, well, what do I need to do, Pastor? Well, you need to come to Him confidently, you need to come to Him reverently, and you need to come to Him Humbly. And you need to come to Him born out of a sense of need and say, Lord, heal me. Cleanse my life. I need your touch today. And He will touch you today. He will move. If that's your desire this morning, I want to give you that opportunity. Let's bow our heads and our hearts and let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank You for Your love and grace in our lives. We thank You for Your working in our lives. We thank You for the power that You have to work mightily in our lives. And Lord, right now, while our eyes are closed and our heads are bowed, Lord, you're here this morning among us. Maybe there's some here that you need a physical healing right now. Come to Jesus. Ask Him to heal you. If that's your desire, if you need a physical healing right now, just raise your hand so I can pray for you. Anybody all? God bless you and you and you all over. Let me pray for you. Father, we lift up those that have raised their hands. We pray, Lord, if you are willing, that you would touch them and you would bring about a healing in their lives, a physical healing, Lord. You know what's going on with them physically. Lord, we ask that you touch them and heal them, restore their bodies. We know, Lord, one day we will all be restored, but right now while we're here on this earth, Lord, we're we're believing in faith. You have the power and the authority to do it if it's your will, and we pray for that right now. While our heads of are bowed and our eyes are still closed. Perhaps you're here this morning and you need prayer for, for a struggle you have with fear, with anxiety. And you struggle with a lot and you don't know and, and it's that lack of trust. Maybe that's where you, where you need prayer for. Why don't you raise your hand so I can pray for you this morning. God bless you and you. Anybody else? Struggles with anxieties and fears. God wants to touch your life. God bless you. These hands, Lord, we pray that you touch them. We know that your word says, cast all of our anxieties upon you, for you care for us. And so, Lord, we're, we're taking these anxieties, we're taking these fears, and we're, we're casting them upon you, Lord. Your word tells us to be anxious for nothing, but by everything through, through prayer and supplication, let our request be made known to God, and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard our hearts and our minds. I pray for these folks, Lord, with the anxieties and the fears As we cast it on you, Lord, that you give him that peace that passes understanding. We believe, Lord, you have the power and the authority to do so. While our heads are bowed and our eyes are still closed, here's a tough one. Maybe you've been dealing with a certain sin in your life, struggling with this sin, and uh, you keep coming back to it. You want God to forgive you, but you want victory over this sin. If that's your desire this morning, Raise your hands so we can pray for you. God bless you. Anybody else? Father, we pray for this one that lifted up his hand, had the boldest lift up his hand, Lord, and, and may, others may be dealing with this as well. We just pray, Lord, for that forgiveness. We know your words as if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Lord, we know your word says if we walk in the Spirit, we'll not fulfill the lust of the the flesh. We have victory over sin. I pray for this one and, and for others if they're struggling with sin, habitual sin, that they would look to you, Lord, and find that victory, Lord. We're no longer bound by sin, but we have the freedom in you to do what is right, and we have the power of your Holy Spirit to live in and walk in your Spirit. We thank you for that. And Lord, we thank you for this time this morning again. We thank you for your working in our life. We pray, Lord, that as we go our way this week, that we would just keep our eyes focused on you, we'll seek to bring you glory in all that we say and all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well let's stand standing we we'll do one last.